Welcome to the End Times Guide podcast. Great to have you along with me this morning. I just crossed the border into Washington, going to a little town called Republic. Um, just a little ways east of Orville, Washington, a little ways like 60 miles. And it's all really windy roads. It's going to be a long time, long windy road to get in there, but they need their lumber and that's what I'm here for, man. I'm going to get them their lumber. And as I'm trucking along this morning, I, I remind you that I am just a blue collar truck driver. I ain't no minister. I ain't no big shot. I'm just a brother in Christ doing my job like you're doing your job. Each one of us has a way of serving the Lord, a way of participating in the body of Christ. Um, everyone who has the Holy Spirit has it for a reason, and that's sure not to keep the Holy Spirit on a shelf. Um, the, the unpardonable sin is to grieve the Holy Spirit, and to grieve the Holy Spirit, you know, neglect. Neglect has to be the most horrid way to grieve the Holy Spirit, just to simply not care that God has put his Holy Spirit into you to guide you, to lead you, to strengthen you, to teach you, to bless you every single day, everywhere you go. And when I say bless, I sure don't mean material wealth. That's, that's another false teaching we'll get along to. But this morning, I want to talk about probably, not, not probably, the, the number one false teaching that is creating the end times church. The end times church, as we read in 2 Timothy chapter 1, is completely carnal. It's just filled with the world. The end times church is literally the world. They all think they're Christians. They're all going to church. They have beliefs. They have religion. But they don't have God. And that is a result of a false gospel. This is the most important false teaching that we need, first of all, to get right and understand the true teaching. Second of all, we need to defend this teaching. If anyone in your hearing preaches the false gospel, you are obligated, you are duty bound to correct them. So let me start off with the gospel that I call an abomination that is causing desolation. As we read in Daniel chapter 3, when you see the abomination that causes desolation set up in the holy place, know that the time is at hand. Now, think about this. The false gospel is a complete abomination to God. And we'll get into why that is. It is an abomination. Is it set up in the holy place? Well, the holy place is the body of Christ. We are the temple of God. A building made with living stones. That's what the church, that's what the body of Christ is. We are the holy place. And the false gospel is set up in our midst. So it is an abomination. It is set up in the holy place. Is it causing desolation? Yes, it's causing desolation. It used to be that the church was filled with born-again saints of God who understood the power of God and moved in accordance with the will of God. And that's the only way it can be done is through the power of God, through the leading of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way we can do what is pleasing in God's eyes. That's the only way we know what to do. Any works of the flesh, any works of our will or of our mind are worthless and they will be burned up. 
But that which the Holy Spirit leads us to do is the works of God, and it will last forever. So back in the 1980s here in the Western world, we had the, well, it began in the 70s. We had the Billy Graham Evangelistic Crusades. And there was a time in the church at, at that period where Christianity was falling out of favor and numbers within the church were beginning to falter. And this was a drive to bring people back to church. And Billy Graham meant well. I don't believe for a second he was out there doing the devil's bidding. I think he meant to do well. But in his hurry to simplify the gospel, he ended up actually humanizing it in the 1970s. And it became, he had this idea that if people prayed a prayer and accepted Jesus as their Lord, they would be saved. And the language changed to even making a decision for Christ. It, it became very, very simple to become a Christian. All you needed to do was pray a prayer or make a decision to follow Jesus Christ. And in that equation, God was entirely left out. In this gospel that began in the 1970s, you didn't need God to make it work. It worked all by itself, by the will of men. By, and, and I'm quoting a scripture there that I forget where exactly. Salvation is not by the will of man, nor by the works of man, but of God. God is the one from front to back. Salvation belongs to God, not to us. And salvation doesn't work apart from God. So this human version of the gospel was spawned in the 70s and is held far and wide today as the true and genuine gospel, but it is a total abomination. It denies the power of God. And many, many parents have led their children to the foot of their bed and prayed a prayer at the age of six or seven, asking Jesus into their heart. And from that point forward, their child has grown up believing they are a Christian. And this is where the desolation comes from, because these children aren't being born again. They're just being adopted into a form of religion. And today we have discipleship training. Now, this is a human version of salvation. I'm not saying that we shouldn't disciple. I'm just saying we should be discipling people who are born again. We should not be discipling people who are not born again. That is creating, um, it, it's a massive deception. It creates false converts who believe something about themselves that's not true. And this is why, if you read the, the uh, Barna polls, the numbers of suicides and um, adulteries and divorces and thefts, the numbers within the church are the same as the numbers outside the church. And it's not because the church has become carnal. It's that the world has moved into the churches. And we have to realize that any church house you go into now is crammed full of worldly people. And mixed among them is a scattering of sheep. Paul Washer, <laughs> he, he went and said some very hard things about hypocrisy, about living a lie, about being a false Christian. And the people just cheered and applauded. And Paul Washer, he, he 
bless his heart, he said, I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. <laughs> the blind can hear words of life and not perceive the danger they are in. In their minds, they can believe that that man is talking about someone else. That man is talking about others that I don't like. That man isn't talking about me. False assurance. So there is an abomination. It is set up in the holy place. And it is causing desolation in the body of Christ. And by way of warning, I want each of you to know that any church house you enter, there will, I, I can't guarantee there will be saints in there. But I can almost certainly guarantee you there will be many, many false converts. Many, many worldly people who believe things about themselves that are not true. And here's their fruits. They have no power over sin. They have their heart and mind set on the world because there's nothing else their mind can grasp onto. And they have raised up for themselves teachers who teach accordingly. They need to be taught about the love of God, the gentleness of God, the goodness of God. They need to be encouraged always, constantly in their flesh. They need speakers who stir them up in their emotions and make them weep and make them smile and make them believe strongly that they are God's children. And they don't dare preach against sin. They don't dare preach about hell. Because these things drive the flesh away. These things will only encourage the children of God. They will only drive away the false converts. Now, it's all well and fine to understand the false gospel. A very simple human philosophy. A, um, what is it? A superstition, if you will. A superstition that man need only recite some words or make a decision to make themselves a child of the living God. It's folly. It's ridiculous. But it's believed by many, many people. Now, let's move on to the true gospel. Like Paul says, it's the power of God. But he goes on to say, for in it, in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. Wait a minute. <laughs> I think this is pretty important. I think this is something we need to listen to. In the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. It is by grace through faith that you are saved, not of your own works, that any man should boast. People cling to that verse because they think that God just overlooks sins now. Because they pray to prayer, he doesn't count their sins against them now. That's what grace is. No, grace is. Is God giving us the righteousness of Christ to live in this world? And, you know, this is the problem. Those who are not regenerated, those who are not born again, cannot in their human intellect grasp the whole word of God. So they grasp onto this verse and that verse and form religion around it. Like They use verses like pickets and fence off their religion with it. But the Holy Spirit quickens the whole counsel, the whole word of God. It's written within our hearts. And we understand 
that all these things hang in balance together. You can't hold on to one scripture and ignore the rest of it. There has to be a balance. The grace of God frees us from sin and clothes us in the righteousness of Christ. We receive it freely and we wear it. And you know what? We don't have to be slaves to sin. By the power of God through the gospel, we're released from slavery to sin. Doesn't make us perfect. In this world, we will have trouble. In this world, we will stumble. And some sins don't lead to death. Sins that you commit unintentionally. You ask forgiveness, and yes, the Lord does cleanse you from your sin. But sins that you commit intentionally, willful sin that you say, I know that God's law is clear, that those who do such things deserve death, but I'm going to do it anyways. Well, you've crossed a, a very serious line. And this is the sin that we are to confess to one another. If you've told a lie, if you've committed adultery, if you stole something, if you blasphemed, you need to confess these sins that you might be healed. You see, sin grows like a weed inside your life. When you allow it room, the, a process begins and it begins to grow and strengthen. And eventually it will bear the fruit of death in your life. So these sins need to be dealt with very seriously, confessed to one another that we might be healed. And that tree of unrighteousness might be hewn. And I tell you what, only God has the power to pull that tree of unrighteousness out of your life. No one else has that power. But the true gospel is the power of God that releases us from the power of sin. But more than that, at the moment of conversion, we are made a new person in Christ. We're given a new nature that desires what is good and right. It doesn't desire the old things of the flesh any longer. And we're given a honeymoon period by God where we are completely in love with the word of God and with the things of God. And all we want to talk about is Jesus all day and night with anyone who will listen. There is such a passion and a hunger for the Lord. We would give anything. We would do anything. And I'll tell you what, when the power of God overtakes a person and they become born again, everyone around them knows that they have changed. Something happened. They're a new person. They're not the same person anymore. And we're told to look for this power of God. In Hebrews 6, it talks about tasting the heavenly gift. In 2 Peter 1, the apostle reminds us not to forget our former purification from sins, which, of course, happened at the moment of conversion. Jesus tells us in the letters in Revelation to repent and go back to the beginning. Remember what it was like in the beginning. Go back to that moment of transformation where you became a new person and do the things you did in the beginning. You know that that love that you had, that uh, endless hunger for the word of God and the things of God and that desire to proclaim Jesus to anyone that would listen to you. 
and the continual prayers and fasting and acting like a fruitcake for the name of Jesus, go back and do the things that you did in the beginning. Now, those who haven't been regenerated and born again don't know what I'm talking about because it's never happened. And if you're in that position, don't feel threatened. Uh, the first thing the enemy wants you to feel is threatened and alarmed and, and to hate my words because they challenge your deeply held beliefs. But God does, by no means withholds this. It's by our own doing that we're not born again. Um, a woman came to Catherine Booth and said, many times I've prayed and ask Jesus to be my Lord, but nothing happens. You see, back then in the late 1800s, they were preaching the, the true gospel that you must be born again. Um, and Catherine didn't tell her, you write the day you prayed that prayer in your Bible, and any time the devil comes to tell you you're not a Christian. No, none of that hypocrisy back then. Catherine said, seldom is it a lack of faith that prevents a soul from being born again. More often, it is a part of your life that you are unwilling to surrender to Jesus' lordship. You see, he wants to be lord of your diet and lord of your wardrobe and lord of your bank accounts and lord of your entertainments and lord of all your life. And some people, there's a secret corner. You can be lord of these things, but, but not this. Not this one little place here. And Jesus just stands at the doorstep and says, when you're ready, I'll be here. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And anyone, the invitation is extended to everyone. Anyone who opens, I will come in. Now remember, Jesus does not lie. Jesus does not deceive. Those words are steadfast and true. Heaven and earth will pass away, but those words cannot pass away. He stands at the door and knocks. And anyone who opens the door, he will come in. You see, some people open the door a crack and begin to negotiate. Jesus, I will give you this much. But he doesn't respond. He stands waiting for you to open the door. And some people open the door a little more and say, Lord, the whole front of the house, you and I can share. And Jesus just stands at the door silently waiting. His condition is that you open the door and get out of the way. Those who have their life in this world will lose it. Those who lose their lives in this world will have eternal life. Jesus is very clear about that. So I'm asking each one of you to not only understand the true gospel, but to defend it. To the end of your days. And if you hear an alternative gospel being preached. That you correct them. It's so important. That people have a chance in this world. To make their peace. To have a relationship with the living God. There are legions. Who are lined up at the gates of hell. And don't even know it. Jesus says that many in that day will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things in your name? And Jesus will say, I never knew you. 
depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Now, what he's saying there is they're still in their sins. They have not been born again. They have not tasted the heavenly gift. They have not been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. They remain slaves to sin. And the slaves to sin go into the lake of fire. It doesn't matter what any pastor teaches, what any um, doctor or PhD preaches. This is the word of God. And it doesn't move. It doesn't shift. It doesn't change. The word of God is clear. So we have a, a burden to share the true gospel and to make sure that people understand this before there's no chance, before it's too late for them. Thank you for joining me. God bless.